there's a new Mission Impossible movie out. I haven't seen it, so I can't recommend it, but it's got stuff like this. That's uh, Tom Cruise hanging off the side of an airplane in flight. Uh, he does all of his own stunts. But you know what? Uh, he's helped us to rethink what's impossible. I don't know if you thought that was impossible, but Tom Cruise can do it, so it's possible. Uh, the, the, tonight, I think that's the challenge for us, is to rethink what's impossible when it comes to relationships, when it comes to God. Um, there's a guy, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. This is him. I think his name is Lou Wee. Uh, two names, not Louis, Louis. Um, and Louis is uh, a, a guy who, um, at age 10, he, uh, his, he grabbed onto an electrical wire and fried both of his arms, lost both of his arms at the age of 10. But what's really incredible about Louis is that during the very first series of China's Got Talent, Louis is the one who won the, the whole competition the first year that it happened in China, in Beijing, 13 years later at the age of 23. Do you have any idea what his talent was? This is what it is right here. Playing the piano. Impossible? You would have thought so. He wasn't playing chopsticks. If you get a chance, listen to it. Absolutely incredible playing and singing. What, what sometimes that we think is impossible just, just people force us to think, wait a second, maybe what I thought was impossible isn't totally impossible. Um, tonight, I want, like I said, we want to share a few stories with you, and Sam and Katrina are here tonight. Uh, they asked me a little while ago if they could share their story with the church, part of their journey, and, and I am thrilled that they would be uh, willing to do that. So I just want you to, you know, if you can, give them a big hand as they come on up here and... Uh, Then I'll have another couple stories maybe to share after this, and then we'll go from there. So who wants black and who wants white? Well, you're wearing white. You go ahead. Awesome. All right. I'll try not to bore anyone. Hi, our names are Sam and Katrina. <laughs> we would like to share our story with you. We were married August 14, 2005, almost six years ago on Friday. Uh, we thought that our marriage was great. We had our ups and downs over the first few years being married, but everything seemed, still seemed like it was okay. Katrina was busy as a stay-at-home mom with our two little children, Andre and Faith. I was busy working and trying to provide for my family, and I was trying to have time for my friends, too. That didn't leave a whole lot of time for me to spend with Katrina. As my life was getting busier and filled with all kinds of other relationships, Katrina was at home becoming emptier and lonely. Katrina realized that something just wasn't right with our marriage, and she tried to let me know that something was wrong, but that just led to us fighting. Things really got bad when I took on a new business and I had virtually no time for my family. The fights became bigger and more frequent until it seemed like fighting was all we did when we were together. I was working hard to provide for her and she just didn't seem to understand that. She wanted me to be there for her and I didn't seem to understand that. Things carried on like this for a while and I figured we'd get through it. We always did. But shortly after that, I noticed that one of our guy friends was hanging around our house a lot more than he used to. I suspected that something was up, and I realized my marriage was in real trouble and that something was really wrong. We had decided when we got married that we wouldn't talk to anyone else if we had marriage problems. Uh, I lost my spot. <laughs> We'd just work on them ourselves. But I realized that we needed some outside help and began going for marriage counseling. We both went to the sessions, but it really feel, felt one-sided, like I was the only one trying to fix it. Sam told me that he thought there was something wrong in our marriage and wanted to go to marriage counseling with me, with him. 
I had known that there was something wrong and that we were in trouble for over a year. I had tried and tried to talk to him, but the conversation never went anywhere. I wanted to work on our marriage then, but felt it was really one-sided. He seemed to think that our marriage was okay, and he just didn't understand what I was feeling inside. The more we tried to talk about it, the more angry we were with one another. After repeatedly trying to fix our marriage, I ran out of energy and the will to see our marriage work. When Sam told me that he wanted to try marriage counseling, I was already done. I didn't fully realize it yet, but inside, I was moving on with my life. There was another guy who understood me, who liked me, who had time for me. He was a friend, and I was drawn to him. He made me feel like I was important in love, something I hadn't felt for a long time. I knew it, that it probably wasn't right, but I was so hurt and lonely, and I just wanted someone to hang out with. We went to the counseling appointment, but my heart really wasn't in it. During that first month, I noticed that Sam seemed to change. He was taking time off work to spend time with me. He was helping me with the kids and even cleaning the house. But I wasn't convinced that he had actually changed. I kept thinking that he would go back to the way things were as soon as I did what he wanted me to do. It just se seemed like too little too late. After a month, I began to realize that Sam had actually changed and the desire to fix my marriage had returned. And then I found out I was pregnant. We've been trying counseling for a month, and then one night Mark called me and asked if we could meet at the treehouse. Katrina had something that she wanted to tell me. I was nervous and played out in my mind all the possible scenarios. Did she finally want to work on things? Had something happened? Would I be able to handle whatever it was she said? As we met that night, Katrina told me that she had cheated on me. I was devastated, but I felt I would still be willing to work on our marriage. Then she told me that she was pregnant and every bit of desire and will to fix my marriage ended in that moment. I was done. I could handle the cheating, but there's no way I could raise someone else's kid. I started sleeping in my truck and began moving all my stuff out of the house. I didn't know where I was going to go, but I knew I couldn't stay there any longer. Katrina had ended things with the other guy, but as far as I was concerned, it was too little too late. Caring hurt too much. It was the darkest time of my life. I knew that I had made a huge mistake, and I was desperately hoping that Sam would understand and take me back. But I left the treehouse that night. I realized that he wasn't coming home. I had already ended things with the other guy, and now I had no one. I felt uh, completely abandoned and alone. I didn't know what steps to take or if there was even a step next step. It was the darkest time in my life, and depression came, began to sit in. The dark days became dark weeks, and soon I took a turn for the worse. I felt so terrible for what I had done and where I was at, and I saw no hope for the future. I wasn't sure that I even wanted to continue living. God, friends, and family got me through those darkest moments, and I began to take one, time, one day at a time and try and figure out what my new normal was going to look like. I realized that God hadn't abandoned me and that there was still reasons to live. So I began to reach out for help. I wasn't sure what life as a single mom with three kids would look like. And so I started connecting more with Nancy, the leader of my mom's group. We had set up one-on-one -on -one meetings after a group, and that's when she introduced me to the ladies from the Norfolk Pregnancy Care Center. I started going to their mom's group on Thursday because it was closer for me, and I found myself connecting with the moms and more, 
and at this, at this group. I began connecting with Sonia from the Pregnancy Care Center every week. That's when I realized I had to change my focus. I needed to get my focus away from my pain and towards my kids because they need me. I started a course called Single Parenting That Works, and it helped me to be a better mom to my kids. Another great support for me was my Wednesday group at the Early Year Center, which was led by a, name, a, a lady named Barb. I found out what healthy relationships and support look like, and as time went on, I found the strength to make better decisions <coughs> for my life and for my future. I wanted to be a great mom for my kids and to heal from the hurt of my failed marriage. One day as I was browsing the shelves at the Gospel Lighthouse bookstore in Simcoe, I noticed a section on marriage and relationship. Strangely enough, I was drawn to a book called Can My Marriage Be Saved? And I brought, bought it and began to read it. The stories and the thoughts captured and inspired me. I began to wonder if there might still be a chance for me to have a healthy re marriage relationship sometime. I knew that Sam had issues with coming around the house, but whenever I needed help, I could count on him. Like when the kids locked us out of the house and I didn't know what to do, he would show up, fix the situation, and then leave right after. That night in the trios, I promised Katrina I'd still help financially with the kids, but that's all the support I could offer. I didn't even want to see her again. I also began reaching out for support. I need some good friends in a bad way. The thing is, I found out that most of my friends, they weren't really good at all. I began to distance myself from all those old friends. One of our friends had just gone through something similar to me, and I felt like we could relate. I found myself talking with her more often, and we began, began spending more time together. Uh, since we both found ourselves without a place to live, we decided to move in together. Business was busy, and I had someone to come home to after work but I was still really unhappy. I knew something had to change. I'd been helping with this other girl with her kids, but I was unable to see my own kids. I realized that we needed to go our separate ways, and I asked her to start looking for a new place to stay. Around that time, I was reading my Bible, and these verses from Matthew 7 seemed to jump out at me. Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to a friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see the past the log in your own eye? I realized that I had made some mistakes in the situation as well, and I wanted to be forgiven for what I had done, and realized that forgiving Katrina was part of that process. I wasn't sure how it was all going to work out, but I couldn't stop thinking about it. About a week later, while I was driving, lost in thought, it hit me like a Buick. <laughs> it's nowhere. <laughs> there you go. I was able to see the impact coming. And I pulled myself toward the passenger side of the car, which the doctor said is why I didn't have any serious injury. My leg was hurt, and my car was totaled. I sent Katrina a text letting her know what had happened and that I was okay. Went home that night without going to the hospital and hobbled to bed. Katrina came over the next day and sat in my living room. Wouldn't leave until I decided, yes, I'll go to the hospital. <laughs> Four hours later, I find, found out that I was going to be fine. I had deep muscle bruises in my leg, but I'd feel better in a couple weeks if I stayed off it. The next day, I was already going stir crazy and decided that I was going to try to hobble into town. I got about two kilometers away from home when I realized that I couldn't walk much further. So I called Katrina, and she came to pick me up. We began to talk and got some big issues out on the table. We talked about fixing our broken marriage, 
And we talked about the baby that was going to be born in a couple months. You see, a piece of my own childhood had been affected by this, by the very same issues. I'm the baby that came from a situation like this. And I grew up feeling hated by my mom for ruining her first marriage. And I realized that this was my opportunity to change that for another child's life. I didn't want this baby to grow up feeling the same kind of things. And I wanted to do whatever it took to make this baby feel loved and accepted. We began talking about moving in together, working on us, and building trust. Giving this marriage a real try, not just running through the paces, but really giving it all we got. The night that I got the text about the accident, I remembered, like, I remembered it like it happened yesterday. I was lying down in bed when my phone went off saying Sam had sent you a photo. I opened it, and it was a photo of a smashed up car that looked like his new car. I messaged him asking whose car was, was that? And what happened? He said it was his, and he had been hit by another car. I started freaking out and getting worried. I asked so many questions that night and wasn't able to sleep. The next morning, I dropped off my son at, at school and went for coffee. I continued trying to get a hold of Sam to see if he, want to, to see if he wanted me to take him to the merge, as he refused the night before. I kept asking myself, are you sure this is a good deal? But decided to just go to his house anyways and take him in. This gave us lots of time to talk in the hospital without anyone around. I was shocked and happy the next day when he texted me to pick him up, and we began to talk about wanting to try and work on things again. I wasn't sure if we could fix everything, but I wanted to try. We continued talking every day about everything and spending more and more time together. We decided the best way for us to build trust would be to live together in the same house and get rid of all the opportunities for us not to trust each other. I remember the look of, sh <laughs> I remember the look of, Mark, uh, of shock on Mark's face when we showed up at his house together and told him that we were moving back in together. Everybody, everyone that we told asked us the same question. Are you sure that's what you want to do? We were sure of one thing, that we both wanted to give our all in building a real marriage. Yeah, I didn't want to just talk about making changes. I wanted to do something about it. We began to make some intentional changes immediately. We decided to stop talking to anyone who wouldn't support a decision to be together. We removed the passwords off our phones and got a joint Facebook account. We began spending more time together, a lot more time. Katrina and the kids moved in one week after the accident, but we wanted our life to look different than it did before. So I started taking Katrina on some of my moves so she could see what it was like every day on the job. And I began to spend more time at home with the kids and experience what it's like to be a stay-at-home mom. We began to understand each other a lot better. We, sp we still spend time with friends and our hobbies, but it's limited time. We've decided that our family and each other are our highest priorities. Two months after Katrina moved in with me, the time came for little man to be born. After a while of labor at home, we realized that he was going to be born soon, like really soon. <laughs> so we got the kids and hopped in the truck and I began to book it to the hospital as fast as I could, but not fast enough. <laughs> Little Nathan was born in my truck. <laughs> uh, he's brought an incredible, yeah, there he is, talking, eh? He's brought an incredible amount of joy into our homes and I love him like my own child. When I think of just how close I was to losing it all, I'm amazed what good has been able to come from a bad situation. You know, we don't have it all together, but we're committed to working together. 
to be a family that we wanted to be when we got married. Now, my encouragement to every married couple here today is never allow yourself to get complacent. Keep on working on building a great marriage. My encouragement to every married couple here today is to never give up. No matter how hard the situation might be, never give up. There's always hope for everybody here. There's always hope, no matter what the situation is. Um, we are thankful for our family, our counselors, our friends, for each other, and to God for helping us save and rebuild our marriage. Thank you for letting us share our story. I got to admit, being there from the very beginning, um, impossible was a word that went through my head a lot of times. It um, was said a lot of times. And yet, I remember the shock on my face when they showed up to my door and said, we're going to make this work. We're going to find a way. And it re made me rethink the word impossible. And as I've been reading last little while just through the word seeing that it's more than just more than just relationships but he's god of the impossible i remember the the nights where you know they'd call and say hey can you pray with me it's just really difficult and there was no hope in sight but reaching out to god through those things and seeing you see the uh the ending result here of a family restored but walking through all of that was a lot of, lot of dark days. Their goal, their desire was to share. They said, can we share our story so no one else has to go through what we've gone through? I just encourage you to listen to the things that they said. I know you were. But to just realize that don't get complacent. Don't allow marriage. Don't allow those relationships. Not just marriage. Don't allow those relationships. And then the things that you do, do something intentional. Um, I want to share with you two quick stories just that I believe tie into this idea and finish this whole thought. Mark chapter 9, in the Bible, Jesus uh, was, was hanging out with his fellas, and uh, it says that they were off arguing with a whole bunch of people, and there was this crowd gathering as this big argument stirred up, and, and Jesus was, uh, he kind of saw it, and they, uh, they, all of a sudden, they realized that Jesus was close, so wherever he was, they just arrived and uh, they said, you know what, Jesus, this, there's, there's something going on. And he said, what's going on? They're like, well, you know, my son, this, this man said, my son, he keeps, he, he's got something wrong with him. There's a demon that keeps trying to take and end his life, keeps throwing him in the fire, throwing him in the water to kill him. I've been jumping into the fire to save him. I've been jumping into the water to save him. And, uh, and he said, I brought him to your disciples to pray for him to do something. They couldn't do anything. And it says in verse 20, it says, They brought the boy to Jesus, and when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion. He fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked him, How long has this been happening? And he said, Since he was a little boy, this spirit has often thrown him into the fire or water, trying to kill him. Obviously something terrible happened to this little boy, and his dad had watched it this little boy's whole life, and no one um, could help him. His situation was impossible, and so the father said to him in verse 22, have mercy on us and help us if you can. So often 
This is kind of the spot where we find ourselves when we face impossible. We run to God and we have this thing, God, help us. Help us if you can. This same thought that, you know, God, we've tried everything. If there's something you can do, you know, please do it. And in verse 23, Jesus said to him, what do you mean if I can? What do you mean if I can? Do you know who you're talking to? And he says, Jesus said to him, anything, anything, anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out and says, I believe. Help me overcome uh, my unbelief. And it just, you know, when he faced the impossible, it was this thought of God, if, if you can. And he says, listen, stop asking if I can. I can. There's a part of it that, that, that you need to play. And he says, it's the idea of, can you believe? Can you believe me? Can you believe what I say to be true? The father instantly cried out, and you see him responding. But in the next chapter, there's a story of a rich man who comes up to Jesus, and he says, I want to have eternal life, Jesus. How can I be saved? I don't know if you ever have that. You know, at your job, somebody runs up to you and is like, hey, I know there's something different about you. How, how can I become a Christian? It, it doesn't really happen all that often. It was the easiest spot to say to lead somebody to faith in Christ. And this man runs up to Jesus and asks him, and Jesus says to him, he says, you know what? keep the commandments. And he says to him, well, I was, I've been a good boy. I've kept all the commandments throughout my whole life. And he says, well, there's one more thing. I know you're rich, so sell all your stuff, give it all to the poor, and then come follow me. Let me just be enough for you. And in Mark chapter 10, it tells the story of that rich man. We've heard it so many times before that, that what Jesus asked of him was too much. And he just said, you know what? I can't. I can't. It's a, I, I can't sell my stuff. And so he walked away. He came saying, Jesus, I'll follow you. But then the cost was too high. He says, I can't. It's impossible. I, I, I can't do it. And so the disciples watched as this man walked away. And they said in verse 26, they were astounded. Because Jesus just explained to them that he said, it's difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom. It's difficult for someone to come follow me when, when they love so much about here. He said, you know, it'd be easier for, for a for the, and that saying, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, then for a rich man to inherit the kingdom. And the disciples said, well, who in the world can be saved? And Jesus looked at them intently. He said, you know what? Humanly speaking, in man's ways, it's impossible. Humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. And the famous th sentence he says is everything is possible with God. And he talked about this idea of, of, of the, the impossible and facing the impossible. And he says, humanly speaking... It doesn't look good. And we look at situations in our relationships, and we look at situations as far as healing, as we look at different situations, and we look at it humanly speaking, it can sometimes seem impossible. And he just simply said, you know what? It's possible. It's possible. I want you to rethink impossible. And for some, it's difficult. For many of us, it is. In the Hebrews chapter 11, last thought tonight is this. In Hebrews chapter 11, whoever the writer of Hebrews is, wrote to all of the disciples of Jesus and said this, and it's impossible, again, impossible to please God without faith. Because something impossible is impossible to please God without fully trusting Him, without having a confidence in Him. Anyone wants to, um, who wants to come to Him must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who sincerely seek Him. And this is just, this is this one little verse in Hebrews chapter 11. It's six verses into this this big chapter about this idea of people just simply trusting God. And we've read the story. We've read the story after story through the Old Testament of the, of the list of the people who, who looked impossible in the face and just said, you know what, God, I'm just going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. So my question for you tonight is this. Is there an impossible facing you in your life? 
Is there a thing that you look at and go, you know what? It's impossible. Maybe that relationship you look at and go, impossible. Maybe it's sickness and you look at it and it's like, impossible. Maybe it's an addiction, a habit, something you can't break. You just look at it and say, it's impossible. Tonight, my challenge for you, and I believe just from the word, is to rethink what's impossible. Rethink what's impossible. See, the word impossible causes us to give up. It causes us to stop fighting. It causes us to figure out, you know, if the story's already been written, it's impossible. It causes us to walk away sometimes, like the rich young ruler just said, you know what, it's impossible. I can't go that way. It causes us to sit back and, and, and sometimes just say, you know what, let's just see what God does. Let's just see what God does. We look at a situation and kind of throw up our hands and say, you know what? We'll see what, what he's going to do in this situation. But I want to encourage you, even as that little miracle <laughs> walks out, I want to challenge you with this thought that believing, believing causes us to just grab onto God's hand and walk. Causes us to, to trust fully in, in him. And I say fully I mean it this way. There's a part that God plays in these stories. As they stand up here tonight, there's a part that God played in this life. It's a miracle to me when I look at this and see. You could see, I don't know, I could see the change when it happened just on their faces and the way they dressed and the way they look at each other. You could see it. That's why I wanted you to have a chance to see it. There's a part that God played in that. But for so many, you'll want to look at it and say, wow, that's awesome. God, you're incredible. Way to go. You just decided to take these two people and fix them. And we think, you know what? If God, if you don't do it, I guess it's impossible. I guess it's not going to happen. There's a part that God plays. But then there's a part. There's a part that God plays in seeing the impossible become possible. And there's a part that we play in seeing the impossible become possible. And I want to challenge you with that thought tonight that both of those things are happening in your lives, in your relationships, in all aspects. Not this one thought of, you know, well, I'm going to try and do it all in my own strength. I'll just do, do, do. I'll make it work. Or, okay, God, I just throw it in your hands and you do it and, and you make it work. It's this thing where we work together, where we're in relationship with him together. See, because Jesus said to this dad, can you imagine as a father bringing your child where you've tried everything, and you put him before Jesus and said, if you can do something, please do something. He's like, me? It's you that has to do something. you got to believe. I can, but can you believe? Can we grab hands together and walk through this to healing? And the father immediately says, I believe. I'm going to grab your hand, Jesus. Let's go and see what happens. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read the stories and we hear the stories, but in all those stories, if you picture yourself in that place, what was it like to be Noah when God told him it's going to rain and he's never seen a raindrop in his life? When he says there's going to be a flood and he's never seen that kind of water ever. He says build a boat. He's like, ah, I don't even know what that looks like. He's like, here's what it looks like. Build it. And he's like, okay, God, I'm just going to grab your hand and for the next hundred years I'm going to build a boat. Well, we know the story after the fact, but what was it like to grab onto his hand and trust Abraham saying, I'm going to make you in a massive nation. You just need to leave your house and go where there's nobody else, and I'm going to make you in a big country, a big nation. What was it like to grab his hand and just say, God, I'm just going to trust you for year upon year upon year? What was it like to feel like i got to sacrifice the son that was promised to me, the one person that can actually make the promise come true? 
but grabbing on his, to his hand. You know, you read the stories about the Israelites marching around Jericho. They had to march around seven times, seven days, marching around thinking, you know what? This is not going to win a war. This isn't going to do anything, but you know what? He said it. Okay, I'm going to grab onto your hand, and I'm going to march. What is he asking you to do? What's he calling on, on you to do? What's he saying, hey, you know what? You see things in your life as impossible. Have you reached out to me? Have you reached out to me? And, and are you doing? Are you stepping? Are you walking it out? They were faced with impossible situations, but they trusted God. Is it easy? No. If I were to ask these guys, was it easy? <laughs> no. So they said, yes, they're lying. It wasn't, it wasn't easy, and it isn't easy. But they're walking it out with him. Marcus Aurelius said this, because a thing seems difficult for you, don't think it impossible for anyone to accomplish. Just because it seems difficult for you, don't think that it's impossible for anyone to accomplish. And I would challenge you with that thought. Just because what you're facing seems impossible, <laughs> don't think that anyone is too difficult for him. Is it a guarantee? Because here's the thought. Because right now I know through your head situations run and scenarios run and past situations run thinking, I trusted God, I believed, I thought I was doing, and it didn't work out. It's never a guarantee. That's not what this whole thing is about. It's never been about us being God, making him do our bidding, but it creates opportunity. See, if we don't grab his hand, if we don't walk with him, the opportunity for it to be fixed is gone. I saw it walked out in their life for the, po- for the impossible to become possible, for them to trust what God's word said about forgiveness, about restoration, about all of those things, and you hear it in their story, walking that out. I want to encourage you with the same things. For some, you might be facing things that are impossible. I just want to say no. No. There's nothing impossible. Nothing impossible with him. I want to encourage you to reach out to him. Uh, and, and as I said at the very beginning, I want to challenge you to hear what he wants to say in your heart. Because you could take what I say tonight. You could twist it any way you want and say, ah, you know, that's, that's, that's uh, whatever, you know, doctrinally or whatever you, you'd want to think. Tonight, I want to challenge you, what is he saying to you? What's the thing that you say is impossible? Because he'll speak to you through that situation, carry it to a spot where you can see, potentially see, something on the other end. Um, I want to end tonight um, differently than I think we've ever done, ever. Um, And I just want to take a chance as a whole church to pray. And maybe you're like, you know what? Ah, not really. I'm just here. I just came. I just showed up. I'm not really like a believer. No worries. No worries. But I want to encourage every person in this place, whether you're married or not, whether you failed at marriage or whether you're about to get married, any of those things, whether you're done with marriage and never want to be married again, I've just seen over the last number of years and months especially, just that marriage is in such a difficult spot in our culture, in our country, and in our church. And I just want to take a few minutes together as a church family to pray for the couples in our church, to pray for the marriages in our church, to surround uh, these families. And so uh, I'm gonna, maybe, maybe I'm going to do it this way. Um, if you are, uh, and maybe I'm going to get it wrong, I don't know. But if you're married and you'd appreciate somebody praying for you and for your marriage, uh, I just want you guys to come stand in the center aisle here. And we're just going to pray together, and that's how we're going to end it. So, hon, you want to join me first? If you're married, just love for you guys to join us. Just every marriage needs prayer. Why don't you stand together as a whole group?
For some, you have no idea what this could mean. Father, I pray tonight as we stand here in this place, knowing that uh, your eyes are on us, God, I just want to say thank you above all for creating marriage. I thank you for the uh, analogy of it, that it reflects the relationship that we have with you. God, we want to see that so much more and so much greater in the marriages here in Kingsway Church. So we just pray together for one another and knowing we need it ourselves that your presence would surround and fill our marriages. Holy Spirit, I pray you direct each of us in our marriages to live out the love that you desire for us. I pray for every husband in this place. God, that you give him the strength to be a man of God, that you give him the strength and from the inside the ability to love like you love, to help us lay down our lives and ourselves and put us second. Uh, Father, I pray that you help us uh, in that because it's so difficult sometimes on our own. I pray for every wife in this place. God, I pray that, you're, that, uh, that your love would fill them so they can share it with their, with their husbands. Father, I pray that you cause them to be godly women just by your voice on the inside in their unique situations uh, that they're in in their marriages. God, we want to celebrate marriage, celebrate you, and we want to shine for our world to see. So, Father, I pray for every marriage that's on the brink. Pray for every marriage and every person that's given up hope in it. God, that you would restore hope, that maybe tonight as they hear the stories, as they hear the things, that they would realize that they can overcome, that they can, uh, they can see marriage work and marriage win. So we pray for that tonight. We pray for your presence over every marriage and over every family. May our kids stand up to uh, carry this on and be a salt and light in our nation. Thank you for that, Father. Lord, I pray that this house would be a place of safety and a place of healing for marriages everywhere. In your name and only for your glory, we pray. Amen.